the second Sunday in July, right around the world, and churches are celebrated as Sea Sunday. And um, it's time to celebrate the role that seafarers play in our lives and to thank them for the hardships they face and the sacrifice they, sacrifices they've been forced to endure due to the COVID lockdowns. But let's start a bit closer to home. Can't get much closer to our home than Scarborough. In New Zealand, we're very blessed at always being near the sea. There's not a place too far from the sea. And we live out at Redcliffs, near the sea. And our home overlooks the city, the estuary, and out to the Pacific. And we're very thankful for the sea. When a nearby hillside caught on fire, Last summer, remember the number of fires up on the hills? We were, had one up our valley. We were blessed at having a couple of helicopters buzzing up and down, and they were able just to go down the valley, well, back above the incoming, suck up the water from the estuary just down below, and zoom up the valley and uh, drop the water on the fire. You can see the suction hose hanging down there and the tank under the helicopter. It was an interesting sight to see. And we regularly walk along the Scarborough Beach Promenade. Anybody like walking along Scarborough Promenade? Very good with coffee shops at either end. <laughs> we park near the um, Sumner Surf Lifesaving Club, which overlooks the Sumner Beach at that end. Any surf lifesavers here? Any nippers? Those are the young people under 14s? Oh, you're all landlubbers up this, this way. Oh, I see. Justine and I actually met in the Surf Lifesaving Club. We used to spend our spare hours as active surf lifesavers pulling endangered swimmers out of the briny. So we were sort of brought up at the beaches. We had three sons and they followed us into surf lifesaving and now we've got grandchildren in there too. I think a couple of them are in that picture there somewhere. Some would say we had seawater in our veins. Well, we walk towards Cave Rock, which usually has people climbing over it and under it, and no doubt many of you in your walks down there have gone through the cave at low tide, hopefully. And uh, then we walk down to the, pro the promenade, which runs all the way to Scarborough Clock Tower and Cafe. And we cast an eye over the surfers there and uh, the surf schools, a couple of surf, surf schools there teaching people how to stay on their boards and not be parted from them. Any keen surfers? I haven't noticed any cars out there with racks and surfboards on them. But the promenade hasn't always been there. Earlier last century, Scarborough, was that beach was the main beach, not Sumner where it is now. It had sand dunes behind it. You see some early pictures of Sumner with the sand dunes and everybody down at the beach, you know how they did in the early years? Suit and trousers rolled up and all that sort of stuff. There were sand dunes and um, there was a surf lifesaving club in the early years on top of the sand dunes. And one of the big storms and sea surges cleared the lot away and flooded all the housing around the lower part of Sumner. So that's when they built the, the bun there and put the promenade on top and the surf club moved to the other side to Sumner Beach instead of Scarborough. And as we near the 
far end of the promenade, we see the Sumner Lifeboat Institution there. And there have been organised lifeboat and life-saving teams based in Sumner, serving Christchurch and Canterbury community since the 1870s, when Captain Day and his colleagues jumped into their rowing boats and battled high seas to save people shipwrecked on the Sumner Bar. Those who know the history of Christchurch will know the smaller ships used to come across the bar, even go up the Avon River as far as um, the bricks near Barbados Street to offload goods. So Sumner Bar had a few casualties. That was the early lifeboat there, as you can see. But if you stand on the at Scarborough, you can, oh, there's the, there's the modern lifeboats. Look at that. They've got three of them, jet ski, mid-size, and a bigger one. And it's the launching one of the boats, the mid-size one at, at uh, Scarborough. Thank you. And if we look out to sea, we'll often see ships anchored there waiting their turn to get into Littleton to offload their cargo. So most days there's one, two or three ships anchored out there. And on any given day, there can be up to 400 foreign seafarers on vessels visiting Littleton Harbour. That's a nice view over the rapidly expanding container part of uh, Littleton there. The seafarers are far away from home, often with limited English, and performing challenging and isolating tasks at sea. And we must recognise that seafarers are key workers. They are on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic, playing an essential role in maintaining the flow of vital goods such as food, medicines and medical supplies. However, the crisis has led to difficult working conditions for seafarers, including uncertainties and difficulties about port access, resupply, crew changeovers and repatriation. And collectively, there are over 1.5 million seafarers across the world, made up of various nationalities. Um, if you've been to Hong Kong, you'll recognise that straight. Those are all the ships uh, parked up, waiting to get to the, into the port there. Men and women often spend up to nine months at a time away from family, friends and loved ones. And this can often lead to loneliness, mental health issues, with limited access to the internet on board ships. And seafarers are a very important link in the world's supply chains, transporting over 90% of the world's goods and fuels, making them essential workers, key workers, who often go unrecognised by the general population. In addition to loneliness and mental health issues, many seafarers often endure money worries, with the average Filipino seafarer sometimes supporting up to 15 extended family members on their wage alone. And seafarers remains one of the world's most dangerous occupations, with piracy, shipwrecks, abuse and abandonment all adding to the problems that seafarers face in their line of work. The lack of facilities to seafarers both on ships and on shore often make these issues worse. And here we have up there the Reverend John Ashley, who in 1836 in England established the Bristol Channel Mission. 
after being struck by the loneliness and spiritual needs of seafarers. Following his example, a number of Anglican ministries followed suit, and in 1856, the Mission to Seamen organisation was set up and was made a Missionary Society of the Church. In 2000, the name was changed to the Mission to Seafarers. That's because it's a pretty sexist term, isn't it, Mission to Seamen, when a lot of them are actually women. It now works in 200 ports in 50 countries, caring for seafarers of all ranks, nationalities and beliefs. And the mission to seafarers has grown to become one of the largest seaport-based welfare operators in the world. And at Littleton, the mission operates in conjunction with the Roman Catholic Apostleship of the Sea. You'll see the blue sticker of the flying angel at one end, that's the mission to seafarers and the apostleship of the sea, Apostolatus Maris, the one at the other end with the cross in the middle is the Catholic, Roman Catholic group. This provides access to Wi-Fi and SIM cards, a comfortable place to relax and rest, a chance to get food and toiletries, transport to shops and local amenities. They recently got uh, an electric um, van to transport the seafarers around and money exchange and advice and the money exchange and advice is very important and advice on what to look out for when they come to the port if they want go, have time to go for a wander through the shops or get into Christchurch. Seafarers are usually paid in United States dollars which are worth quite a bit more in New Zealand dollars, I think it's a dollar forty of ours. Sometimes local businesses rip off seafarers by charging them United States dollars instead of our own dollars. And thereby increasing their profits. That's why the mission to seafarers runs an exchange so that they can use their own money. Other rip-offs include things like one, I was on the board running the mission for a few years and one of the things we heard about one day was a, a seafarer deciding to go into Christchurch and getting a taxi, which normally costs about $30 from Littleton to Christchurch. He was charged 100 US dollars. That's $140 of our money. And this is the sort of rip-offs that seafarers, little English, in a strange land, been at sea for months, people are willing to take advantage of them. So this is all the work that the seafarers do. You can see the, the um, John McClister there, who's the full-time seafarers chaplain in Littleton. He uh, works along with others to try and ease the seafarers' life when they are, uh, living, are coming to Christchurch. Alongside the port chaplains are many volunteers who assist at the mission centres, provide food and clothing and many other tasks to help the seafarers while they're in port. You can see some of the seafarers on the building we saw there in Littleton. Tea, coffee, food, internet um, and games and a place to relax and get advice. Jesus spent much of his life in ministry in or around the Sea of Galilee. There's a nice picture of it there. The Sea of Galilee is uh, actually quite a way below sea level and as you can see it's surrounded by hills which makes it prone to sudden storms and winds. 
We would, of course, call it a lake, but they, it's always been called a sea, Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Mark's gospel, as we heard today, sets off at a run. You'll notice the gospel reading started off with the word immediately. Mark's always using the word immediately this, immediately that. Things are really ramping up for Mark. Jesus is always healing. He's teaching and healing, teaching and healing. And the stakes are raised. Demons are driven out. Storms are stilled. Then the feeding of the 5,000. And now this in today's reading, walking on water. Then more healings and more. When's it going to end? What's going to happen? Where's it all heading? Are we like the disciples watching events happen but not drawing the right conclusions? Or have our hearts been softened to believe the extraordinary thing that is occurring before our eyes? Because what Mark is beginning to tell us about Jesus is like nothing before or since. He is telling us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, the one who rules over wind and wave, over bread and fish, who heals the sick, casts out demons, the one Israel has been waiting for. The gospel passage that we are following today's reading goes on to say how they made landfall at Gennesaret and tied the boat up. And then it says people recognised Jesus as soon as they got out of the boat and they scurried about the whole region to bring sick people on stretches to wherever they heard he was and wherever Jesus went in villages, towns or in the open country they placed the sick in the marketplaces and begged him to let them touch even the hem of his garment and all who touched it were healed. We too are invited to come and touch the hem of Jesus' garment looking for healing, wholeness and salvation. If we do so, we won't be disappointed. There's a song that uh, some of us learnt a few years ago. It was quite popular in its time. And it goes like this. Here comes Jesus. See him walking on the water. He'll lift you up and he'll help you to stand. Here comes Jesus. He's the master of the waves that roll. Here comes Jesus. He'll make you whole. Lovely.